Are you ready to get fired up? This is the Spitfire Podcast with your host, Lauren Lemunyan, the Spitfire Coach, a certified life and business coach out of Washington, D.C. We're talking to everyday people on the topics that burn them out and ignite their passion. So sit back, relax, and get ready to spit some fire. What's going on, guys? It's your host, Lauren Lemonian, and I'm super excited that you have joined us for season two of the Spitfire podcast. Now, if you didn't catch any of the episodes in season one, fear not. They're available on our website at spitfirepodcast.com, or you can listen to them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So head on over there, click the link, download it, subscribe, tell your friends, and enjoy the show. What's going on, Spitfires? Welcome to season two. That's right. We made it to our second year of amazing podcasts with amazing guests. And today is no exception. Now for season two, we are switching it up yet again because that's how we roll. We're bringing on amazing co-hosts who have or may have not have been on previous shows because they're up to amazing things and Spitfires got to stick together. So today we're talking about DIY-itis. And DIY-itis is this obsession and compulsion that makes us constantly want to do things ourselves. And it's most commonly used by entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and caretakers. And this mental ailment can lead to exhaustion, overwhelm, snippy moods, and potentially some burnout. Today, we're going to dive into it. And I'm so, so honored to have Chelsea Cole back on the Spitfire podcast to tell us what she's been up to, how DIYitis may have kicked her butt a couple times, and how she is smacking it around and making it her BFF or front of me. So Chelsea, thanks so much for joining us. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. When you reached out to me about this topic, I was like, yes, this is something I can definitely talk about in my own life. <laughs> totally. Well, before we get into DIY-itis, what have you been up to? I can't even remember how many shows back. It, does, it feels like just yesterday, but I know that it's been a while because you have been up to some, some serious stuff. Yeah, totally. So this year was a huge year for me. I self-published my first cookbook, um, which has been amazing. So I self-published that um, right at the end of November. It actually happened in a very tight and stressful way, um, Black Friday weekend. That was kind of my goal and I made it happen, but just barely. Um, and since then, I've been marketing it and it's been a blast. And I also launched an Airbnb with my mom, which has been a really fun um, kind of side project and really just an experiment, but we've been loving it. It's been awesome. That's so great. Well, I remember you you were thinking about the cookbook when we talked and you were in motion, mm -hmm. but it seemed like right after the show, you were like all cylinders firing. Yep, totally. Yeah, it's, uh, it was kind of like a slow burn um, in spring and most of summer. And then I like really lit the fire because I had this goal of Black Friday weekend because it's such a great shopping weekend. And so my book is all about sous vide cooking. And I knew that it would be a big Christmas gift this year. And so I'm like, okay, I've got to do it. And I just buckled down and, and got it done. <laughs> well, that's a great segue then to talk about DIY-itis. So how did DIY-itis show up or not show up for you when you were doing the cookbook? Yeah, so... Uh, I, I really made an effort to balance my DIY-itis during the cookbook. This was kind of a, um, since I did self-publish, it was a pet project in a way, meaning it was self-funded. Um, so I really wanted to balance that without being totally overwhelmed. I really learned about how susceptible I am to DIY-itis in my last job. 
Um, I worked at a startup as a digital marketing specialist, and I was so excited to learn how to do everything myself and then take on that responsibility. And I do think that there's a lot of value in learning how to do something yourself. But then once you've got it down, maybe consider outsourcing it if it's not essential that you do it yourself. <laughs> Uh, and unfortunately, I, that's not what I did. And so that was something that I tried to apply during this process. So um, I did hire somebody to help with. Um, I, one thing that I've kind of learned about myself with my writing is I can be really good at like fun and interesting writing in small batches. But when I'm presented with a huge project, like writing a book, <laughs> um, I can get a little bit repetitive and a little bit dull. Um, and so I did hire somebody to help me make sure that my writing was super fun and super energetic throughout that whole thing. Um, and to help me with things like my table contents and things like that. Um, and I also, and I, I, I'm, every time I came, I was presented with a task that was like, um, well, not super skillful, but time consuming. I looked for opportunities to outsource it. For example, the index. I, I, I came towards the end of writing my book and I'm like, oh crap, I need an index. Um, and I was, it's like, this is going to be a monster of a task. So I found somebody in a Facebook group to help me with the index. And so just looking for like little opportunities where I'm like, this is going to be super time consuming and I don't need to be the one that does it. And then outsourcing that out. Interesting. So I'm curious where the change happened. So in your past, in your former career, you love learning things and doing all the things. So where was that light bulb moment for you to, to outsource or to ask for help from, from other people? Yeah. So I would say that I initially um, kind of fell into the trap of DIY-itis because when I was hired for that job, it was this, it was a role that I had been um, trying to land for years. And so I had been doing things on the side, like social media management on the side. I had my blog and things like that. Um, but I had been wanting to make that my career. So when I got that job, I was so excited and so excited to learn anything and everything. Um, and luckily, that's kind of a strength of mine. I can dive into something and figure it out myself um, and, and take it on. Um, and I'm willing to kind of go through the weeds in that way. Um, but I just kept taking on more and more and more and found myself totally exhausted. And I noticed too, that I could never like, I could never do one thing as well as I wanted to, because I was responsible for so many things. And I had done that to myself and I didn't say, and I also didn't say like, I need help with these things until the very end when I was very burnt out and they were like, why do you need help? <laughs> and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I, I, I put myself in this very bad situation. And so I actually ended up take, uh, going into a new role. Um, and it was a little bit scary at the time because um, about a year ago now, I put in my notice at that job and stepped into an hourly role. So in addition to a lot of these other things that I do, I do work at a job. Um, and so now I have an hourly position and I, it was a really good opportunity for me to start fresh. And I was, I had to learn to be able to say, I, just because I know how to do something doesn't mean that I should be the one that's doing it. Can we put like a stake on that one? Just <laughs> yeah. because I know how to do it does not mean I should be doing it. Yes. Golden rule. <laughs> We're getting that it really is. And back. I, <laughs> right. And it's, it's funny too, because for me, it, it was a little bit of a pride thing. Mm -hmm. 
because I didn't want people to think that I couldn't do it, which is very silly. And it's something that's like totally on me to correct. Um, and so I, when I took on this new role, it was funny because we were actually, um, I was with them for a few months, um, this company that I'm with now. And at the time they started to, uh, make the decision to transition out of working with an agency, um, which means that we would be taking on more of the work. And so during this process, I was like, okay, great. And so we need to hire freelancers then to help us with these efforts because I know that I will struggle if I take this all on myself. And so luckily I was able to say that from the get-go and that's exactly what we did. And so we've hired out for some of the more day-to-day tasks or things that I know that I can do but aren't my strengths. Um, and it, like, I can't tell you, I enjoy going to work so much more um, than I have previously because I don't resent my job. I don't resent the massive to-do list that's on my plate. Um, and it's still, it's still useful that I know how to do these things that a lot of the freelancers we're working with are helping us with mm-hmm. um, because I know how to um, ask for things and I know how to manage them a little bit better and all of that stuff. But again, I'm not doing it myself. And hey, if push comes to shove and like one of them is out or they're not respond, they're not available at a certain time when we need something done. I can go in and do it. Um, but that's the exception and not the rule. Got it. Okay. So I'm hearing a bunch of stuff that I think we can capture. Um, so the first thing that I'm hearing is try it, experiment with it and try to see if, if there is a passion or, or a curiosity to learn it. Um, and then the second thing is to understand, is this efficient or is this enjoyable for me to do? And then it sounded like there was a piece of knowing your limits. So understanding the boundaries that you have on things to create a better workflow or a more enjoyable time doing the work. But then the other piece that I'm hearing is that there's almost like a budget component to it. So when you're bootstrapping, um, I hear this a lot with entrepreneurs where they feel like they have to do it all on their own because there is no money to invest or they don't feel like there is money to invest. So they don't feel like they have the option. Um, so it's seeing where your skill set is, but also where you can defer out and, and outsource out and understanding the actual investment and the budget. Yep, totally. And um, kind of speaking to that too, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of working on putting together um, a recap of my experience writing this book. Um, but one thing I want to say to fellow entrepreneurs is you can get creative in how you um, request help from people. For example, for my book, one, uh, I did work with a graphic designer and she, so what she did is she actually created a template for me that I filled in myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was good because I was able to pay her less because she wasn't doing all of the grunt work. um, And I did that myself. And that was actually an okay mindless task because I would just like watch TV with my husband and literally copy and paste and format. Mm -hmm. Um, But she also requested that she be paid um, a percentage of my royalties up to a cap. And so I wasn't paying her upfront out of my own pocket, which was great. And you can kind of, if you are working on a similar project, for example, if you're creating a course um, or something like that, where there is going to be revenue later, you can talk to partners and see if they'd be open to a payment schedule like that. Um, so we are cap is it um, when she gets paid up to a certain monetary amount or if a certain amount of time has elapsed. 
Um, and then there's a minimum kind of built in there too. And so you can totally get creative and see if people are willing to work with you on that. And the nice thing for her too, is if the book does really well, um, she gets paid more. And so she's got some built in incentive to help me promote it, which is great too. Look at you with the win-win solutions. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I didn't even think of doing that. I, so when I did my book, I went on Upwork and, uh, got an editor and proofreader that way. But I did the mm-hmm. DIYitis of, of designing the book cover because I was so frustrated that no one could interpret my vision. <laughs> it turns out <laughs> it was because I had the image and never shared it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that's too good. <laughs> well, I was like, I want this face that looks like it's spitting fire. Oh, wait, I have that picture already. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But, but oh, that's it, so funny. But it, it's, it's super interesting because this, this control, like I had a very easy time writing the book, but it was once I got to the proofreading and editing process that I sat with it and I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, dedicate a couple hours a day to this. And I realized Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this. I've already spent so much time with this. And that's where I was like, outsource. Yep. I found that myself, like you, when you, uh, when you're writing a book, like you toil over that content so much that you get like sick of looking at it. Yeah. And so you, you, and when you read the same stuff over again too, that's where, um, that's where, in my experience, that's where typos happen oh, totally. um, because you, yeah, you, you just see the same thing and it doesn't click with you that there's an error there. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, definitely a good place to outsource, but it, uh, but I totally hear what you're saying about the control element. Um, I really, my, my husband will tell you, I really struggle with relinquishing control. (laughs) Uh, like I am the driver in our partnership because I, and I am the driver in all situations (laughs) because I don't like it when somebody else drives (laughs) and like there's, but that is part of the, sorry, go ahead. So what happens if someone else drives? I'm just anxious and I'm like obsessing over how bad of a driver they are. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I just want to be driving driver. myself. <laughs> yes. Or I'm just like sitting there like with purse slips and like being unhappy. <laughs> Do you ever take Uber? <laughs> oh yeah. But luckily then I just get on my phone and ignore my surroundings okay, <laughs> as so best as I can. We have, we have to distract you if someone else is driving. Pretty much. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, so that's interesting. So there's, there's the, I think there's like a, like multiple tracks to get to DIYitis, but I think control is one of them. Um, it's the investment in yourself. And mm-hmm. then there's kind of this fear of letting go, which is I think different than control. It's like the fear of trusting someone else to, to take over and that they're going to keep their word yeah. and have clear expectations. Absolutely. I have actually, um, so this year I've been working with more and more people that um, I've hired remotely, um, both in my day job and outside of it. And I have had now had two freelancers who actually, who ghosted. What? <laughs> Just like, yes, stop emailing back. Um, and it's like, okay, they are gone, I guess. And that is 
terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a really good learning experience because now when I hire, it, it kind of sucks though, because I do freelance work myself and I feel like it gives other freelancers a bad name and I don't know how they work with their other clients, but if their other clients haven't worked with other freelancers, that might make them scared anyways. Um, but it's, it's left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And now, um, I'm really careful about who I hire to help me with stuff. And I require references mm-hmm. and most of these people I actually find in Facebook groups. Um, and so I like them even better if somebody else says, Hey, so-and-so would be a perfect fit for this. And it's like, okay, that helps me. Um, but if you have the opportunity to like get to know someone in a lower stakes way before Mm -hmm. having them help you with like a project with your pride and joy, for example, a book, that's always nice too. For example, one of the women that I asked to help with my book, um, I've been working with her at my day job and I love working with her. Um, she is really, really good at a lot of the things I'm not really good at. Um, but I've been able to work with her for a few months in that capacity. And then I said, Hey, I have this other project. Would you be interested in taking on more work? And she was totally down. Um, so that's, that's a nice. And so then I was, I was felt a lot better about relinquishing that control because I knew her work style. Gotcha. So trust is a huge point of, of getting through it too, of what, what makes you feel more trusting in a relationship and how do you create those different levels? So it's like people start small, they have referrals or recommendations, and then you see them and feel comfortable before you invite them in. Totally. Yes. And I think too, um, you know, one thing that's also really common with entrepreneurs is this idea of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, one way I kind of saw that cropping up um, throughout this process is like a fear that other people wouldn't take this or weren't, wouldn't take it as seriously as I was. Mm. Um, And almost like a little bit of an embarrassment factor. Um, Like what will what will this person think of me if I tell them that I need help with this, like really this pet project of mine that's so important to me. So there is a little bit of that too. And it's, um, for something like this, it can be really vulnerable to have other people edit your book because yeah, (laughs) yeah. With writing a book, you're really putting yourself out there. Um, or for, and for lots of other things too, like if you're a blogger, um, having somebody edit your content there, or if you, um, are looking for like a VA to help you with social media, having somebody learn your voice and write in your voice, like all of that stuff, there's a lot of vulnerability with that too. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that's something I struggled with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I I think it was so funny. I, I kind of let that go because I was like, listen, I just need to get this done and I'm paying this person. So if they don't like what (laughs) I had to say, I don't really care. (laughs) But that was kind of a much healthier way to do that. It was kind of my philosophy with writing the book. Like the book was not for anyone else. Like I wrote it for people, but it was really for me. So I completely Mm -hmm. detached from the outcome on that. I was like, all right, I want to make sure there are the least amount of spelling and grammar errors, and I want to make sure it's done. So I can either sit there and painstakingly judge myself of what are people going to think. You know, not every book is for everybody. And that's on them. And I think, uh, yes, and I think that that's maybe where I went wrong. And this is maybe an aspect of DIY-itis um, because so I, my, I, for my first round of editing for the like front matter of my book, because with a cookbook, there's a lot less like um, casual writing through, I mean, while well, there is an intro to literally every recipe in my book, um, but there's less to do there. It's more in the front. And so for the front matter, the first round of editing that I had, I just had friends and family do it, mm-hmm. um, which in retrospect was probably a mistake because I really wanted my writing style to be like 
fun and young and a little bit sassy. And I had like, um, like aunts and relatives and stuff <laughs> helping me edit this. And I'm like, and now in retrospect, I can be like, mm, probably not the best choice. Cause they were like, maybe don't use this word here. It sounds like a little aggressive or what does this mean? And you know, stuff like that. So yeah. I think, I think that that's probably where that error speaks there. Very, very true. So your family especially wants to make sure you're happy and tries to protect you mm-hmm. and they don't always take uh, notes well and and they don't they're not always your audience so if you have family members mm-hmm. maybe cousins who who meet your ideal audience then that would be great but yeah family will typically take it really personally unless you know that they can be objective yep, mm-hmm. yep totally <laughs> yeah like my mom read my pr- my proof I brought it up when I went to visit in New Hampshire and I was like, just know that it's being proofread. So like, I'm letting you skim it because my mom is like the queen of the red pen. Um, like there's the queen <laughs> of red hearts. My, my mom is the queen of the red pen and she will tear shit up. And I'm like, mom, not, not for you. <laughs> like I'm just showing yep, you this yep. and be done. That's so funny. Yeah. And I think like being aware, it's funny because my mom was actually a great proofreader for this book. Um, because she's like, I don't know what this means, but that's okay. Like whatever. And so she'll just go through and look for those grammatical errors. And then that's great. And, um, she mostly just thinks I'm funny, which is awesome. <laughs> but then, uh, but it, so I think maybe I should have been a little bit more aware of who I was asking. Cause I just put a kind of general call to action. Like, does anybody want to do this? And yeah. I should have been a little more picky about who I let do it. <laughs> so many good lessons learned. I did the same thing. Like I, yes. I had someone proofread it and it was this weird experience because she was so judgy about the editor that did it. I was like, I didn't really ask for your feedback on that. And I was like, I don't really want you to read my, it was very strange. I thought like, Oh, I'm just sharing this. And she took it as like her personal mission <laughs> to like evaluate it. Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, cause not everyone. I, yeah. I think no, no. And I, and I think, yeah, I mean, And again, maybe that just kind of goes back to part of uh, letting go of your DIY-itis is obviously hiring out. And maybe when when hiring those people, being incredibly clear about what specifically you need from them. Um, Like, for example, I hired... Um, I hired one woman just to edit the recipes in my book. Um, so look for, um, I wanted to make sure that all the recipes were super consistent in the um, language that I use because different, uh, you can use different words um, for different cooking methods and things like that. Um, so I wanted to look for that consistency and just general editing too. And she was great for that because it's a lot more technical. Um, but, and it was, it was nice for her to have that very, very specific role. But mm-hmm. anyways, just, yeah I had a proofreader start to rewrite my book and I was like I didn't ask you to oh do my that. gosh yeah well I found him on no. Upwork, and I limited him to 10 hours a week because I wanted to make sure that I knew what he was doing and I looked and I was like he's trying to change the voice of my book and I said let me just be very yeah. clear you are there to look specifically for spelling and grammar not to change the voice and I was like, if you don't yes. fill up to this task, then, then I will find someone else. And he's like, okay, sure, no problem. But I feel like people will expand the boundaries unless you're very clear of the expectation. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's part of where that trust component comes in because for um, many of us, if we choose to spend our money to hire somebody else, it's like, that's a really big deal. This is actually the first year um, 
for my blog where I where I've done that. I this is the first time this year um, where I paid somebody else to redo my website. In the past, I have always done it myself, and I am not a web developer, so that was a bad case of DIYitis there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the first year that I did that. Um, unfortunately, that was one of the people who kind of like ghosted me. <laughs> um, so I'm now working with. Uh, but I after that, I hired another woman to help me manage my website. Um, and so for her, I, so I, I pay her a monthly retainer and that was a huge decision for me. Um, because I've never paid anybody to help me with my blog or any of my booty efforts. Um, it's always been something I did on my own. And I told her after I hired her, like, it's, it's the greatest thing I've ever done mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, it's, I would spend hours and hours trying to figure out how to do this tiny thing for my website because that's not my my skill set. I had to do a lot of Googling, a lot of trial and error to figure these things out. And eventually when I did kind of figure it out, it probably wasn't the best way to fix whatever the problem was. Um, and now I just, we, she and I have this like um, workspace in Trello and I just add something to her list and it's off my plate and I don't think about it again and it's done correctly. Mm. Um, and it's it's really not... It's it's hard because I totally get when people are like, think about the time and then other entrepreneurs are like, but I literally don't have the money and I totally feel that. Um, But if you are able to um, outsource a little bit and you can think about like what your greatest weaknesses are and you're able to just outsource that the first time you do it, it's amazing how much it helps you. Yeah. Or or maybe it's it's budgeting too. So maybe you can't get the 17 things done on your website. Maybe it's in three phases. So like what are the easy things that can get knocked off by hiring someone for a couple hours and then looking at it a second, yep. third phase of your business? So I think that's the other thing is like when entrepreneurs get started, they want to have all the things right now. They want to make the widget. They want to have the perfect website. They want to get it all done. But you know, you and I have been been around for a little bit. So it comes in waves as far as the finances. And it also comes in waves as far as the evolution of your business. So the first iteration is not going to be the last that you have on your website or any project that you're working on. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, that's how um, I've approached this even like, so I have a super small retainer with her. Um, And so both there's a long list in Trello. And so just a few of those things get done every month, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. And just like the um, brain space that that's freed up for me and in the time um, is so, so worth it. And I don't need those things to be done immediately. (laughs) Um, And even if you are trying to do all of those things yourself, like you said, it's going to, it's, if it's something that you, that isn't your expertise, it's going to take you so long to probably figure it out anyways, <laughs> that you might as well have just taken that approach to it. Yeah. Well, and then you're going to be burnt out to do anything else that actually is going to generate revenue. Yep. Totally. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, so recommended tip, if you're listening to this listeners, think about things in three phases. So what are the critical things that need to get done? What are the nice to haves that could happen in like three to six months? And then what can wait a year to get done? And then price it of of what your budget is. I love the idea of a retainer because it it then allows the boundary within the vendor and with you to manage the finances. So they're not going to go with scope creep and start sending you massive invoices. And you're also going to be able to manage your expectations on what can get done. 
it's yes, exactly. And the woman that I work with, she's amazing. So she even and in our cello workspace, she has like a little time remaining um, box, oh, nice. so I can see. Yeah, and it's it's it is again for that control component. It's really helpful because I know exactly what's happening, um, how much time she has left, and yeah, it helps me manage my expectations for what she can get done. And um, I was coming kind of coming off of getting super burned by another freelancer who had been helping me with my website. Um, and she would, the other person, she would go like three weeks without speaking to me. And I was like, what are you doing? Like I, it's for me, it was such a huge investment to hire her to help me with my website that it was like heartbreaking. Mm. Um, and so many good so lessons for, for you. <laughs> Yes. Oh, this, this has been a big year. Um, and so for this new person, I had some trust issues and I was like, Hey, can we also write into the contract? Um, that if I give you enough work to fill, you know, the two hour retainer, but you aren't able to get to it, that I'm not responsible for paying you for the full two. I mean, so little things like that to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And she was totally open to that. <laughs> and she was very, and very aware of the fact that it was because I was, you know, coming off of that experience. Totally. And um, luckily it hasn't even been an issue. Awesome. So it sounds like it's really training people how to treat you. So if you're really clear of the time and the financial expectation and the workload, then you can create the boundaries on the relationship so that people know what's expected of them. I don't know if we talked about it, but the reason that all relationships break down is because of unmet expectations. Mm -hmm. So if you can nip that on the front end, then you are golden. But then you'll also be able to tell like if people are resisting those boundaries at the front end, that's a red flag that you don't want to do business with them. Yes. Yes. That is, I, I, I don't think I can emphasize what you just said enough um, because I, if I would have kind of been more, um, if I would have taken those red flags more seriously with these other freelancers that I've worked with, um, I would have, I would have nipped it in the bud immediately. And now, unfortunately, that's a lesson that I've learned, but you are absolutely right. If they um, don't meet deadlines like immediately and don't communicate with you about it, um, I'd say that's, that's a huge red flag. And I think too, if you are going to um, choose to make the investment to get some help and to you know, cut off your DIY-itis, um, making those expectations super clear from the beginning and then keeping them super clear throughout. So I use, and not, and not to say you have to use stuff like this, but I think that tools like Trello and Asana are so, so useful for that because um, you can set deadlines mm-hmm. and you can communicate um, around those tasks within those platforms and see why those deadlines maybe aren't being met and, and things like that. But it's just super clear and black and white for everybody. Uh, and if, if those things um, fly by, it, it, it lets you have a discussion about that as opposed to being like, I gave her this random task, but I didn't tell her when I needed it done or anything like that. And then she failed to meet those expectations. That's not really her fault. Mm. Oh, I, I just had a little light bulb moment. So I think that the start of DIY-itis happens with assumption. Mm-hmm. We yeah. assume we have to get it done. We assume people know what we mean. We assume that people know when they have to get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I'll, especially like all the fears that come with um, breaking your DIY-itis. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. So if you had one big lesson learned or one big tip to share with our listeners about DIY Addis, what would it be? 
I would say um, learn things because you want to learn how to do them. Um, and then as you're doing that, figure out if that's something that you enjoy doing. And if it's not, find a way to outsource it or, or find a way, yeah, essentially find a way to outsource it. If you can outsource things that aren't your strengths or that even are um, something that you've mastered but are t is time consuming, it will, it will truly change your life and change the way you work. And I know that people have heard this a thousand times and it's really, really hard to do. So try it just with just one thing. Try it with your biggest weakness. And if you have the ability, do it with something where it's just like an hour retainer a month. So it's a really small investment. Or again, if it's like a percentage of your profits or something like that, where um, it feels safe and you know that you, um, it, you aren't going to be putting a ton of money into, mm -hmm. into trying this out and you're going to immediately feel that relief. Um, so just do a bite-sized thing, see how it feels and go from there. Love that. That's, that's such great advice. Now the fun part, what's your cookbook called and where can people find it? Yay. Uh, it's called Everyday Sous Vide. It's all French to me. Um, and right now it's available on Amazon. And if you're in Portland, Oregon, it's available in Kitchen Caboodle stores. And you can stay at her Airbnb. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so we actually have an Instagram account for that. <laughs> um, so you can follow us at uh, City Stay Vacations. And if you want to come to Portland, it's right on uh, Mississippi Avenue in the uh, historic Mississippi district. And it's super fun. <laughs> Are they going to get sous vide cooking while they're there? You know what? Uh, we have been toying with some kind of way to do this. Like I have um, Starbucks has super. There. Yes. No. Uh, there. There's ideas. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, like Starbucks has super popular sous vide egg bites right now, and I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. And so I think that my sous vide egg bites are way better. Um, <laughs> but there's been talk of like putting them in the fridge over there for people to have for breakfast and stuff like that. So oh, some so stuff good. might be in the works. <laughs> that's so good. And having like a little copy of the book there for people to look through. Exactly. <gasps> mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I love it. It's the sous vide Airbnb experience. Yes. Synergy. <laughs> synergy. I love it. I love it. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. On, on this DOI itis busting episode. And make sure you guys check out Everyday Sous Vide. I'm going to have a link to the book in the show notes and we'll be, we'll be promoting it. And if I had room for, I, I live in 395 square feet now, so I can't fit anything <laughs> else in this apartment. I've let so much go. So when I finally get square footage, then I too will be sous videing sous videing <laughs> my life. That's what I say. It's not a real word, but I do that. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be a sous vide master. Um, and that's right. <laughs> and if you think of any topics that came out of DIY at us, let us know and we'll bring Chelsea back and we'll, we'll dive into more cooking or more, uh, more multitasking and outsourcing. And for all the spitfires out there, keep being awesome. <laughs>